0: The Pinball Network is online, launching Pinball Innovators and Makers Podcast.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Pinball Podcast focused on the innovators and makers who are crafting homebrew, custom, and re pinball machines, the technology that makes these personal projects possible, and the companies helping with these journeys. Custom pinballs are a deeply personal and technically challenging undertaking, requiring time, money, knowledge, and most importantly, the desire to make it happen. I'm Dan Rosenstein, your host. Join me and let's go under the play field and see what's needed to make a custom pinball possible. Welcome pinball innovators and makers. It's lucky episode 13, and today we are very fortunate to have David Fix a legend in the pinball community, a co-organizer of Pinball Expo with Rob Burke, and the EVP of American Pinball. I'm honored and humbled to have you on the show, Dave. We've been in contact since January of 22 for this interview. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. Sorry it took so long to get on the show. Well, you wanted to make sure I had some street cred. So we've got now 11 episodes published, (laughs) and we're about to publish the 12th. You're lucky number 13, so I I hope you're okay with that. Yeah, I'm not superstitious, so let's, let's get rolling. Sounds good. So uh, to to start off with, we always start with the pinball origin story and let's actually focus before Expo and American Pinball. We'll talk about Expo and American Pinball separately. So however you want to start earliest memory, you know, um, what what got you in pinball, any of these things.
0: Well, I've told the stories many times. There's some stories I haven't told. So I'll tell you a few of those and that way it keeps everything fresh. Not a problem. So let's, let's go back to my earliest memories of pinball. And uh, this this will take you back a little ways. And this is a, kind of an interesting topic because it kind of blends itself. So my uncle is the one who got me really into pinball, uh, my Uncle Pete. And uh, he lived about an hour and a half away from western New York, uh, near Erie, PA. And uh, it was a typical weekend. We went down to see Uncle Pete. And my aunt and the family were down there, and um, there's a new pinball machine that you just heard about. And it's called Black Knight, and it's at Arcade here in Erie, PA. And we just shot out. And the funny thing is, you know, we're in an industry, you know, in a time now where we have the internet, which all this stuff. I have no idea how he found out about a black Knight arriving in 1980 of all places in Erie Pennsylvania in an arcade that he hadn't been to yet, but he was on his he wanted to take me there and I remember it was shocking because it was like the first game that hit fifty cents and uh, I got to play the Black Knight and listen, I've always been a Steve Ritchie fan, and I was hooked right this is this is the Black Knight it's talking to me, it's taunting me. 50 cents. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And uh, that was the day I was just sitting there. I was playing it. And I was just, you know, I I, I remember playing the first game on Black Knight and uh, all three balls kind of zipped past because I wasn't paying <laughs> it. Quickly. Um, and then it just kind of laughed at me and I was not really thrilled with the machine. I ended up playing some Pokerino, which was the game next to it, and I got some uh, specials on that and rolled it and had some fun with that. But it's just kind of funny that you know, I, you
1: know, I people ask me about the origins of when I, my first memory of pinball. And it's it's actually Black Knight. What stage of life were you in at this point? Were you were you still a child or you know no, teenager? It was my, it was my teens. Okay. My teens. You
0: know, it, maybe just before my teens, but it was it was still memorable, right? So. And my uncle was always big at taking me to play pinball because he we had the Atari twenty six hundred. So video games, you basically had this rule video games we play at home. School games like skee ball and pinball, we play on arcades. We go always to the arcades because we never go for them. And it was I I remember having a, a a party at my house and having him up uh, many years after I was in the collection and him coming down and just seeing all the pinball machines he was. Just, <laughs> as well now we get to
1: play the pinball machines at home uncle
0: pete he was just he was totally thrilled with that so um
1: did you ever find out uh af- after the fact yeah. how uncle pete found out about the black knight no. like no never no. know never knew never knew and
0: unfortunately he passed during COVID. so i i, I mean I, there was a couple times and he couldn't remember by that time too so but it was just kind of funny that uncle pete just like you know uh, we, we showed up on a friday To spend the weekend with the family and he's like oh we gotta go to this place because i just heard they just got a black knight pinball machine i'm like oh what
1: (laughs) so so it's 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 funny um i i the listeners of the show will know that my first home machine was an f-14 tomcat that my dad bought when i was 13 so steve ritchie same 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 as you um, although your yours was Black Knight in, in 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 an arcade, um. So so since since the you know since your origin story is, is is quite well known, why don't we actually dive in? Um, when did you actually get involved with with Pinball Expo? Well,
0: that's an interesting thing.
1: It kind of collates.
0: When you hear this, how this works together, it's kind of funny. Um, so I was big into pinball. I dated my wife. We were playing pinball uh, again. Steve Ritchie was in the background. Believe it or not, I found a getaway here in Chicago when I was dating her. Um, I've always loved Mark Ritchie's uh, Indiana Jones. That was like kind of the first game I ever bought from Williams. And then quietly behind the scenes, i just been, you know, I didn't have a machine. And then I bought a machine. And then there was a, I had an invite to go to this thing called Pinball Expo. So I show up at Pimble Expo, they're like, You're gonna go on a tour of the Stern Factory, and this this is your first uh, first tour. And I'm like, okay, great. And my wife and I we both get in. We go into the the, the factory tour and he walks up to me and says, Hi. And I go, We're Steve Richie. And he goes, I'm wait a minute. I no, that's my job. I say I'm Steve Richie. <laughs> that's so my very first experience at Expo. On a, on a tour, is to have Steve Ritchie walk me through the stern plant and show me everything. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I was just floored. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I ran a videotape. I have that um, DVD. I put it in the DVD format. It's not the world's greatest. I wasn't like, I'm not a videographer. <laughs> but it, to me, it was the moment that sunk into me that Expo was this a magical place. Because you know, first games or, the, you know, I remember Black Knight in 1980. And here I'm going to meet the creator of Black Knight on a tour of the Stern Pinball Plant. And this only can happen because it's in Chicago at Expo. And then I meet all these other people there. You know, I met, I'm sitting in the row at uh, the at my very first Expo. I'm sitting here and the guy says, hey, is that seat taken? And I'm like, no. He comes in, he sits down and I look at him, I go... You're Roger Sharp. <laughs> yes, I am. I am Roger Sharp. Nice to meet you. Dave how you doing? I mean, here's two guys that I've met, you know, on my first time ever at an expo. Roger and I have been good friends ever since that expo. Um, in fact, it's interesting that uh, one of the trivia collections was uh, Rob Burks standing up there, and I hadn't met Rob. He goes, Anybody tell me who the man is sitting right next to this guy right here? And he's playing me. He's playing actually Roger. And I raised my hand and go, he goes, okay, and you are? I says, it's Roger Sharp, uh, the founder of Game Plan. And uh, Roger goes, no, I'm Roger Sharp, but I'm not the founder of Game Plan. I just designed a game for them. Oh, wow. You know, you can remember this was early 2000s, right? this This is a long time ago. And a lot of history has now been expanded upon. Um, that was the show I met uh, Norm Clark, uh, who was a game designer at Bally Williams, um, uh, Steve Kordak, Elvin Gottlieb, Michael Gottlieb. Wow. I mean, it's it's amazing the amount of people that I got to meet the very first time out and Pat Waller was there. I mean, Pat didn't do many shows you know, sporadic, but he was there. Um, it was to me, it was a very interesting time, uh, in the early 2000s. I think when I want to say about 2002, 2003, I can't remember exactly, but soon after that, I was floored with how the show had gone. That I started working with a show in Rochester, New York, known as Rochester Game Room Show. Um, and Gail and Dave Jones, and I was part of the Rochester group. Believe it or not, so in Buffalo, New York, there was one guy, me, who was a collector, and about an hour away in Rochester were all these other collectors. So, <laughs> we two shows, you know, I would go out to their place to have a pinball nights, you know. So, you know, get immersed into all this. Um, it's a, it's a short, small world. Um, there was a time where we were going to put a show in Niagara Falls, New York, and I did the Niagara Falls Game Room show, um, which was part of a barbecue festival and a car show and a pinball show. It's like, OK, how do you put these three things? We did it. Um, we had over 100 games and uh, Rob Burke drove all the way up from Ohio and walked through and, and he was just floored with the show. Mike Pacek at the time also found out about the show and just said, this kid put this show on and he got all these games there. And uh, so I reached out to Trent Augustine, who was an old friend, and I asked him to run my tournament. And Trent was like, well, if you want to you attract tournament players, you got to put in a little cash flow. So I didn't know how to do that. So I just thought, all right, I'll take $1,000. We'll give X to first place, X to second place, and X to third. And whatever else you get, on the you know what they put in well we we got a lot of players because you know you put a nice cash prize many people come down from Toronto um Toronto Ohio Pennsylvania West Virginia we we attracted a lot of people it was it was it wasn't a profitable show which most shows you really have to work hard at to make them profitable but uh, when it's all said and done, my wife calls it my most expensive uh, party I threw for my pinball friends. How's that? <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, I also spent a lot of money on Windex cleaning barbecue sauce off the pinball machines, too, because I <laughs> had a barbecue festival, which is pretty cool. Have you ever been to a barbecue festival? They have, like, you know, like, like art shows, and they had the bands, and they had, you know scene and you went out and bought the food but you could also go right in and uh, play pinball too so it was kind of cool we we, we drove, drew through a lot of people to the show it was really fun
1: yeah i, I grew up a little bit west of, of where where you're talking about i'm from ohio originally from cleveland um but went to school in st louis so i spent a bunch of time doing barbecue festivals in kansas city and cleveland so i i definitely have a have a feel for it so i know what you're talking about there's a some good barbecue sauce but you're not necessarily wanting to eat it after it's been on the pinball machine
0: no, it's a little, you know, the flipper button's getting sticky. It's not a good thing. Exactly. But,
1: um,
0: this show was successful on all the eyes because Rob Burke and Mike Pasek saw that I was doing this. Now, I was at Expo uh, within, like, let's see, we did that in um, July. So about three months later, I was at Expo. And Rob Burke and Pasek come up to me and said, can you help us with our show? because we know you've done show promotions and so forth. And uh, I just started helping out. I, I picked up some stuff. I started working with Paysec with the uh, vendor hall. And then I really did a lot of work with Rob with the seminars. The seminars were kind of hit and miss with the audio. The first couple of years I was there. Um, so I partnered up with uh, my good friend Martin Aam of Pinball News. And I brought in a bunch big sound equipment. And I said, Martin, help me. And Martin worked for the BBC, still does. Um, so him just running, you know, you know, figuring out all this stuff, and I'm working with him on that, you know, running mics and getting things and fading things in and out. And, uh, and between the two of us, we lived the seminars for the next quite a few years. And then I remember somebody saying to me, he says, I think it was Jim Shelver, the pin game journalist, says, you know what? The problem is, is... Expo 2006 and Expo 2007 looks the same. There's nothing I And I I said, oh. He says, wouldn't it be cool to have something hanging? I'm like, yeah, I guess. So I started this project of buying and making up gigantic banners of classic flyers. And then I, so the very first one we ever did, It was crazy. I had a a guy out in Halifax, uh, John Greatwich. Uh, He helped me print these uh, banners, and we did the play field guide for Centaur, because Centaur was going to have, there was going to be a seminar about Centaur with um, Paul Ferris and Jim Pala. Oh, wow. And uh, there was a couple other guys that were there, and um, I thought it'd be a hoot to have that play field shot, so I sent it over to the printer, uh, Great Witch, and uh, I don't know what happened. He he let it get away from him. We ended up getting this eight-foot-tall, four-foot-wide playfield map. I mean, this thing was huge. It hung on the wall, right? And everybody was able to refer to it. And it was perfect for uh, Ferris and Patla because they were like, well, you can see right there. There's the shot that was up there. <laughs> And everybody could see it. There was, it tied the shows together. So from that point on, I started finding who was going to speak, grabbing the flyers from that show. I did contact Williams. Uh, by at that time, it was just real easy because it was a good friend by the name of Roger Sharp, who I was sitting next to. And Roger said, let me ask Williams. And uh, I said, we're only going to print one of them. And he says, okay. And then it goes into the Make-A-Wish auction because we wanted to give it back to the community. And that's what we did. We sold off a lot of those giant posters and there was only one copy of them to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And there's a lot of big collectors who have them. And then there were some black and white ones that we printed over year after year after year, which were photographs, right? And that was pretty cool because you get to see some of the stuff like Roger playing pinball back in the early 80s. Uh, you got to see a lot of other... People just having fun.
1: So your Sorry. pinball expo experience goes back two decades, but really, in terms of planning and and organizing, it's it's one to one and a half decades. You've been you've been involved at this point. Pretty much, yeah. That's all. That's awesome. Thank. Listen, uh, before we go any further, thank you for everything you've done for the hobby and for Expo. Like I know, I know that you're 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 working with some very good people, but I also know that it wouldn't be what it is without without you having done it. So thank you. Um, for those of us no who, who 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 go and enjoy it. So here I'm
0: hanging all these posters, and we're just promoting Expo, and it is just it just turned out great. And people, you know, collected the posters, and they were great about this. Um, and and I just kept working at Expo then. One day, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, because I'm helping, Paysack with putting together the vendor halls. I get a call from two guys. First, first guy I get called from is uh, uh, he calls himself Skillshot, okay. Which later um, he, he had a problem because Skillshot magazine is right. uh, couldn't do it, so he ends up. Turning it, of course, into what we know as it turned out to be fast pinball. Oh, fast! Aaron Davis, of course. Aaron Davis. He calls me up and he says, "I got this. I, I need to have a booth at Expo. This is around 2009, I want to say." And he's saying, "You know, he's on shot and I'm like, "Okay, what what do you got?" He says, "I have the first ever suitcase pinball machine," and I'm like, "You're kidding me!" He goes, "No." We're going to bring it on a plane. It's in a suitcase. You unfold it, and it's a pinball machine. <laughs> and, and all my boards, it's everything. And I'm like, this is cool. This is really cool. So immediately I called sick and say, I need a booth for this guy called SkillShot. Of course, SkillShot is some magazine up in, in the Seattle. Later, he changed it to Fast Pinball. Right. And this is where Aaron and I first met and then it started me looking at things, and then there was this guy by the name of Jerry Stellenberg with Multimorphic. So I called Jerry up and I said, "Jerry, you want to come because we're going to do this this kind of homebrew thing." And Jerry's like, "Sure, if Aaron's going to be there." So Aaron Aaron comes in with his suitcase and uh, he opens it up and he's like, "This is the world. We can do it all." And and I looked at it, and I was like, I was blown away. I was like, this is cool. It's a suitcase. And then he's like, well, people can make their own machines. And I'm like, well, that's what Multimorphic is doing, you know, and, uh, and, and Jerry. And before you know it, 2010, I had talked to PaySec and given me an area, and we built this area where we had uh, maybe 10 homebrews. And I remember sitting with Mike Paysec and Rob Burke uh, pre-expo, and I said to him, I said, guys, you know, we, we just went through a, a very dark days at Stern and so forth. I think the homebrew is going to be the next wave. And uh, good call. Rob was like, we got to do this. We got we to gotta promote this. And Mike Pasek said, okay, just give me an area. I don't care. Just You, you think it's going to draw people? I said, yes. So we opened this up and uh, we had all these homebrews start showing up. And it was that was the dawn of the homebrews at Expo. And uh, I know I said to Rob Burke at one point, I said, wouldn't it be if we took somebody's design one year and a major manufacturer makes it? And we had pitched that. Rob and I pitched that and Pacek pitched that to Stern and to whoever else was going to try to make pinballs for a long time, but nobody wanted to listen to it. So um, I got a call one day. And his homebrew kid was. Uh, we're doing virtual expo, and uh, he's like, uh, his name's Ryan McQuay, and I said, "Listen, we're doing virtual expo because we're shut down. We're doing everything virtual. I want to know about Sonic," and he said, Oh, let me tell you." And he walked through everything, and I said, "Okay, let's give you the world. I'm gonna I'm gonna open the soapbox, and I want to put your, your show on." And uh, he put together this whole video presentation. He sent it over to me and I said, this is perfect. We're going to air it. So, you know, let me just say one thing, Dan, about Pinball Expo Virtual. Okay. This show was at a time of the lowest points in the pinball community. It was a passion project. It was a a harebrained idea that I had. And uh, Jeff Oler... Uh, who was our Arcade Hollywood? Uh, he jumped in with us and Rob Burke, and we we pitched it to Rob, and we 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 literally took our jobs and we went and lived at Burke's place for like a week to do all the pre-cutting stuff uh, in September, and then we went down for Virtual Expo. Uh, that was a passion project. Were we, I mean, was Expo really making money? No, we didn't have anybody coming through the things. We didn't have this, but we had the community, which is what we strive to build. The pinball community came together on Virtual Expo and they were like, wow, these two guys are in Rob Burke's basement showing video clips from people from Australia, from around the world. Ryan, right, with Sonic and other people, right? And it wasn't just because Rob and Dave Fix sat in front of a camera. There was other people behind the scenes, all the people who brought the gave it to us. But it was also people, like I said, Jeff Oler, who were sitting there downloading all this stuff, getting ready. And then I'm very thankful for all the people who hopped on for my little section of it, where I call it the Pinball Insider, where I hit Martin Nayib from England, Gary Flower from England, Roger Sharp. Uh, my good friend from Brazil, uh, Dave uh, Stein from Australia, we all got on to this thing just to talk about what is going on in the industry as a whole. And we, we shared some stuff. It's that kind of passion that you need for the pinball industry. And, you know, Pinball Expo was the stepping point to get us into working with Ryan. And it really let Ryan shine. And uh, meanwhile... I'm already in communications with American Pinball to possibly go work for them. In what shape at that time, it sounded more like they wanted me to take over everything. And uh, which, right after Expo, that conversation got heated up pretty quickly.
1: So in December of 2020, you joined American Pinball as formerly Director of Operations and Marketing.
0: Correct. Correct. Basically, Director of Operations and Marketing meant in the whole show right uh what was is that they had a president of american pinball at that time who they they couldn't give me the vp title because he's the president and uh, but he's on his way out so what happened in uh in the conversations that started in august of 20 around the time I'm talking to Ryan about sonic um they the owner, Mukesh Basani, who was the silent partner, said he could no longer be silent. And he wanted to take back the company, um which he was going to buy out, the president of the company at that time. And uh, he had to make some hard decisions. And what's he going to do? right? Um, so that that led to an interesting conversation with him because he he said to me, he says, "I got two choices. One, we shut it down completely." and close the doors. Or two, you come on board, we clean the house, and you rebuild the company. Uh, So like you just alluded to, in December of 2020, I took over as director of operations. By January 1st, um, the partnership was gone, and Lukash was in full charge, and he said, David, rebuild the company. Uh, We let go of the designer at that time, we let go of a few other things. It was a very, you know tense time. Stop when you walk into a company with three weeks to kind of figure out what you're where you're going to go. But he you know the owner had already made up his mind that he needed to clean out stuff, but he wanted to keep you know small avenues open. So you know there's there is you know small avenue for Joe Balser down the road if he wants to come back and do a a project with us he could probably do that. Um, but it just, David, we need to restart. And then, you know, as fate would be, um, we let go, Joe, the next Monday morning, Dennis Nordman called me out of the blue saying, um, I'm looking to see if you guys are hiring for a game designer. <laughs> I said to Dennis, I said, Dennis, where have you been hiding for the last 48 hours? <laughs> I had him in, right, and uh, immediately he was he was part of the team.
1: That's awesome. I'm um, um, one of my absolute favorite designers. Um, I've got a few of his machines. Dennis is Dennis is you know Dennis is a good
0: designer. I think he got um, jerked around an awful lot from the industry. Uh, the poor guy. I mean, listen, one of his best games, Whitewater. Yep. Um, it the production um, amount got cut. You know, so I didn't get the full potential of the swing that it should have when he was at Williams. There were other things that, you know, you know, things that had jumped around an awful lot. So, you know, Dennis would love to have you come aboard. So he did. Um, of course, I already had this kid by the name of Ryan McQuaid in the back pocket and I started talking to Ryan and uh, we had talked back and forth a little bit, but I was really I had Dennis And Ryan wasn't ready yet. So I said, okay, well, I'll see you at next Expo, which the next Expo, you know, he's all excited. He brought, you know, here we are finally out of COVID, right? And he brings Sonic, and there it is. And he's all decked out in Sonic gear. And then I make the announcement that we're going to do the American Dream Challenge for next year. And he's like, "But, but, you can watch the video. It's absolutely funny. You know, the Expo, we're talking about Legends of Valhalla. And he's standing there pointing at his machine in the hall, like, hey, I'm here now. You know, that kind of thing. is this sports for next year, and it's a new new design. Right. And he was like, what design? I said, yes. And, but secretly, we had already, you know, this is what happened was um, in September before Expo, we had already brought Sonic into American Pinball's offices, we had already brought it over and started playing it and looking at it. And then we also started uh, reviewing it um, as a potential game, right? And uh, we helped Ryan, we brought it in, we picked it up, shipped it to us, then we took it to the show for him, Back we looked at it, and then we shipped it back home to him. So... We were very excited about Ryan. We had him at the factory. We started talking to him. We were really excited. And um, here's the thing: everybody, I think everybody at Expo knew that I was Doctor Ryan. There were people coming up to me and Ryan going, "Oh, you guys making a deal for Sonic?" And we're like, <laughs> oh, "You're not my That kind of thing. So, you know, um, unfortunately that was the time that everybody had saw Sonic loved it so much. And they had a feeling that American was already looking at this very heavily. And, uh, I mean, it was literally two weeks later, we're calling Sega to figure this out. And they're like, we gave the license to somebody else. And we were like, are you kidding me? So this kind of leads into us not disclosing, who the american dream winter w- was uh because just because we could lose the licenses um
1: however well uh, uh, david uh, david i want to i want to clarify that okay. um so so we're talking about expo in 2021 where the american dream competition is announced from uh, and that that that's for expo of 2022 when that's going to be the first the the first competition, if you will. Now you're already working with Ryan by the time of Expo 2021. Ryan doesn't formally come to American Pinball until I think April of 2022, at least how it's formally announced. And that was right after congratulations, your promotion to EVP in March of 2022. Um, right. So help help me fill in the gap for me and the listener between um, when the 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 competition was announced in 2021 and what happened leading into expo of 2022
0: well we we knew but here's the thing you know Ryan had already been discussing you know he was there in October of 2021 and uh we formally brought Ryan on in January of 2020. Uh, it just wasn't publicly announced until April it just wasn't publicly announced and we were and we were trying very hard uh, to finalize. the. I mean, everyone with the, the license was in a total flux. We lost the license. And I'll never forget, uh, Mukesh and team and I called Ryan to explain, listen, we're sorry, we lost the license, but we're not losing you. We wanted you and we have another license. You know, we have something else we want you to work with. And, and I think that touched brian the most because he was at that point in time thinking oh crap i'm gonna you know i'm not gonna, I'm gonna lose this gig you know because they lost the license and when we told him no we really need him to come over and all this other stuff he was like well i guess i guess the guest cats out of the bag i can actually be seen wearing walking around with a an american pinball shirt of course and you can tell your friends and you know and uh you know, it was—it's was kind of interesting. We made the announcement that we were going to do the thing for 2022, and that's what we were really doing. And it was funny—is Ryan started working on a new American Dream pinball machine, which he was going to bring to Expo in 2022 to to win it. But he, had, you know, we had already been down the road, and we already knew his skill sets, so we were excited about having him on board with us.
1: So, so two two things, David. Um, around around that time frame. So I've been I've been following what's what's been happening at the homebrew for for quite some time, and um, I got super excited when the announcement was made in twenty twenty one. I wasn't at expo, but I was like, that was when I was like, oh my god, I I want to go build 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 a homebrew and really really jump in here. But what I wanted to comment on is the when when the public story got told around Ryan getting hired at American Pinball. I heard an interview, and I went back uh, this weekend trying to go find it, and I couldn't find it. But I wanted to let you know that I felt a certain amount of heart and empathy for the situation. I wanted to give you credit for how that interview went and what was said there. Um, the The level of respect and the level of appreciation for Ryan and making him like, I, I don't remember the, the details of the interview, but I will say that I remember that um, you made it clear that Ryan was part of the American pinball family even though Sonic wasn't picked up. And like I said, I don't remember the specific details, but I remember that point. And I will always remember that point. The the heart you showed is an example of the love that you have for this hobby, for this industry, and for the people that make it. So, you know, before we go any further, I wanted to thank you for that moment because that was a a touching moment in pinball for me. It was.
0: Uh, uh, Thank you. Thank you. You know, listen, pinball... I'm just going to say this uh pinball is only uh, it's a it's a box with a ball that rolls around and some buttons and we hear like you know flashy lights and art and we try to make it a total story in a package but i will tell you that all the years to going to expo meeting alvin godley meeting steve kordak norm clark uh, wayne nines these gentlemen had a love and a passion For pinball. And uh, they shared that with me. And, you know, Harry Williams, Uh, I I had heard many stories, didn't meet Harry. But then I, you know, I talked to Roger and Roger gave me some insight on Harry, and just the feelings that these guys brought. And, um, you know, pinball, it could go away tomorrow, right? And, and, And most people, you tell them, I work for a pinball company, they go, they still make pinball machines? You know, it's one of those things, you know, they don't know it's this growing thing again. However, I will tell you, it has been blossoming, blossoming very much over the last few years, you know? Yeah. So, and there, and there's other stories. I will tell you that just real quick. and just say this. Pinball is only because you put the passion into it. Well, so, you know, you have to have heart, right? I mean, into this, this industry, um, because, you're putting a lot into it. I mean, yeah, I could think of this like a job where, um, how do I put it? Like I punch a clock in and out and it's over with, um, running American pinball is not punching a clock by any means. Uh, for me, it's a seven day a week job, uh, talking overseas to distributors, uh, vendors, um, talking to designers here, you know, um, working on trying to make the spinball company a success. Um, you know, if I if I actually book, my wife says you're probably working for like two cents an hour, uh, but it's because I love it, right? And it's the passion. We put together a team, an American, that have that same love, that same passion. And uh, Ryan fit perfectly into that team with that passion and that love. And we brought more people in One of the other things I want to point out real quick is I was working for a company called ICE, Innovation and Entertainment out of Buffalo, New York. And I got hired by a guy by the name of Ralph Coppola, who was the owner and uh, CEO uh, of the company. And Ralph was the kind of guy who had passion and heart with his employees. And in that tenure that I was with Ralph before he passed, he shared that with his upper management team. Um I was on the edge of the upper management so that I, I got to feel that. And Ralph pulled me aside and worked with me on a lot of things. But he shared with me moments that, you know, I almost went on business. And uh, he had all these employees and he was like, what the hell am I, doing? you know, I can't send home because they are, they're relying on me for a living, and uh, he refinanced the company. He figured a ways out, and it made into it the successful company that it is today. That passion and that feeling that Ralph brought to Ice is something that I brought in, and then I saw it again with people like Steve Kordak and Elvin Gottlieb, and Wayne Nines. And the founders of these pinball companies they were their children
1: mm-hmm.
0: so i brought that passion with me to american pinball where it needed to be and you know we're, we're not punching a clock uh, it's funny um jack hager our art director a uh, great guy um I, I i can come in in the morning and he's already there before me and i can go home at some nights and he's still there after i'm gone And there are other guys who come in different hours but they want to be there they are the backbone
1: of this company david you uh do what you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life perfect model okay um so that this takes us you know uh, ryan gets on uh hired to american pinball at least publicly april 2022 june of 2022 you did a really good interview um on on pinball news um about the american dream challenge and sonic license so it you know it comes back up in the ethos again um and that's in lead up for october 2022 for pinball expo where the first uh is the first competition is supposed to be so um, you know, it's it's there wasn't a winner, as you alluded to earlier. And so I wanted to understand if you can tell some backstory. I know you started to tell the backstory with Ryan and what was happening there in parallel to him getting hired and him looking potentially to b- uh, bring another machine other than Sonic to Expo in 2022 and that be a potential contender for, for the award. So I wanted you to see if you would fill in the gap there.
0: Sure. But I want to point out one thing, Dan. There was a winner. Oh, there was. Okay. <laughs> Yes, it wasn't well, told. Oh, the The winner knows who he is, and uh, he actually has already worked for us quietly in the background here at American Pinball.
1: So- David, just just for clarity, this I'm I'm so glad to hear that. That's awesome. Um, just just for clarity, is this different than the that than Jake and the Dukes of Hazard? Because he won the blue ribbon at 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 the show, and Jake is actually my partner in crime. He runs the the website for or the the Facebook group for Strictly Customs. I do the podcast, but we are we are in cahoots. Um, is this different than that, or is it the same? Or can you not comment? I'm not trying to to put you into a corner. It's, anything? It's, it's different. Okay. So Jake won Pinball Expos
0: Homebrew Challenge. Okay, that that's the pinball uh, the, the the true face. The American Dream Challenge was somebody that we're gonna take now. It could be the same. In this case, it isn't. Jake is a great guy. He did some beautiful stuff with Dukes and Hazard. I mean, listen, I love uh the game, what he changed, right? And I'm just gonna say this: that Dukes and Hazard is not the same game as Terragon. Okay, it has the layouts, but it has a different rule set, it has different sounds. It's a multi-ball game, whereas Paul Paragon wasn't. So it's enough of a change to qualify as the American Pinball, American Dream Challenge. However, he didn't win mm-hmm. uh, the American Dream Challenge. The gentleman who did win, uh, I can't tell you who he is, but he has worked for us. He has come into the office and punched a clock for a couple weeks, and and uh, you know, he's he's come back and forth and we're in negotiation for his uh, game. So we, we're we excited about it. And uh, I was so happy to have him come into the office. And I'm like, well, you know, and he says, I'm working for you, blah, blah, blah. And I says, yeah, but you know why? He goes, no. I said, because you won the American Dream Challenge. And he was like, I did? And uh, I said, we're, we're working on this. And I tell you, he was just blown away. So somebody in the the Homebrew Challenge community knows who it is. You know, he knows himself, but he's being very quiet and keeping it to himself. And listen, the Homebrew Challenge is still going on. I'm going to look at this year's expo, and I might just pick somebody, you know, and uh, we might, you know, and understand the Homebrew Challenge was judged upon people like uh, Roger Sharp. Uh, it was judged by me. It was judged by a couple other game designers. Ryan put his two cents in. There was a there was a poll of people who played a couple games and went, "This one is the standout. We love it." So, but this is still listen. All of them, all of those guys who made their homebrews, they're all deserve right. They're all great machines. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I'm really incited uh I- excited to see these games from these
1: guys i mean i mean it, some of them are just like phenomenal so um, so with that let's let's look forward and talk about expo 2023 like i, I love the passion for homebrewing customs and you've told your journey of you know how they started to you know become part of your life and part of your pinball experience what is it about homebrew and custom that that really excites you where what you know that ignites that passion it's the thinking of outside the box. Okay,
0: so don't get me wrong. We have game designers who um, they don't copy themselves. They call it their signature signature parts, right? You know,
1: right. Third, third third flipper, it's, King of Flow, etc. Yeah, et cetera. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's
0: their signature style. I'm going to say that you know this is beautiful, right? But there are people out there who are designing stuff. Just blow your mind. Now let's go back, go back to, uh, expo 2011, 2010, somewhere in there. There was a young guy from the Seattle area named Brian Cox. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been in contact with Brian. I've talked to him many times. He's a good guy. He works for uh, a big, big conglomerate. I think it's Google, if I'm not mistaken, or it's it's either Google or Microsoft. He's probably going to, I'll probably get a text later going, but anyway, um, he designed some games, right? He designed a game that just blew my mind called Tattoo Mystique. And this was in 2011, 2010. And I, and I want to say that I played it, and I was, like, blown away. And I said to him, I said, Brian, this game could be sold to any tattoo parlors in the United States. This is a really good game. And he had a lot of little tricks with lighting, lighting. And a gold ball that changes into to a silver ball, a little magic going on there. It played very well, right? Um, And I said to Brian, and then Brian hit other games. He had all these little cards of games. I mean, it was like, where are these? I mean, like um, Jupiter 9 and uh, Futuristic something or Future Retro or something. I can't remember them all right now. But I'm going to tell you, they were amazing games. And they were, they used the fast system and then there were some people who were using, you know, multimorphic that were doing some amazing games at that time. And, you know, this goes back to a little of the past, which I like to share, is that you know, some people say, well, this was the first time an in industry was Keith one being hired with a homebrew. No, it isn't. Um, John Norris yep. of Motley brought a game in called, um, um, it's the Tour de France, the French bicycle race game. With the shooter on the left side, it was the first time it ever had been done, and uh, he was actually at Expo, and he raised his hand in the front row and says, "I designed the game." And in that row was, of course, uh, Gil Pollock of uh, Premier, and they immediately fought the game and they looked at it, and John Norris ended up getting a job on the deal, right? So, and a little other story that was told many years later, which. I was surprised was Michael Gottlieb telling me the story of how Black Hole came about. Black Hole was also a game designed by a homebrew and they brought it to Gottlieb they sold it to Gottlieb and Gottlieb made Black Hole at that time. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's these little histories bits, right? That homebrews have been around, but we may have not seen them, right? We may have not been, there's a lot of history here. I mean, there's a ton of history in the pinball industry, And uh, it helps to have people like Roger Sharp and some other friends to kind of navigate through, but also going to Excel all those years, sitting there, you know, listening to Steve Kordick and Elvin G and all these guys go on about different
1: people uh, that help create stuff. one of the guys, and, that- and, and 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 David, let me let me interject there. Um, the Silverball Chronicles, which is a fantastic podcast, chronicles the history of many of the pinball companies and individuals in the pinball industry. And they actually, I just listened to uh, back episode three or four, which is the John Norris, the Gottlieb System Three, John Norris episode. And John Norris apparently had a bunch of homebrew work, as you were saying, and homebrew machines. That I was like, oh my god, I need to go talk to John Norris. So it's really funny that you're bringing it up right now. No, it's 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 great to hear that homebrew. Although it's having this renaissance and this emergence, it you know it's not like it's brand new in the last ten years. It's been happening previously.
0: Absolutely, and that's actually, believe it or not, how some of the young blood has been interjected. Listen, Gottlieb was at a time that when John Norris came in. He started helping design some cool games for Gottlieb at that time. And it, it opened that door, right? So, you know, listen, I mean, I love Dennis Nordman. He's a great guy, but he, he he's not a young guy anymore, right? So it's perfect for him to mentor, like Ryan and some other people. And uh, it's really good that I see this mentoring going on also at other companies. You know, like, listen, Keith Elwin. He's over at Stern, right? Working with uh, with uh, Gomez, right? But I, well, I mean, that's a homebrew. And then you have our, our um, Mark Seiden at JJP getting mentored by Pat and uh, Steve Ritchie. So you have some young guys coming up in the industry, the homebrewers that are going to be, you know, these are going to be names that we're going to know about for yep. quite a few years. Pitbull continues. So and there's some guys too that you know.
1: So no, so wh- what's your perspective? Like, why do you feel that there is this emergence and growth? Although you know, as as we've established, as you've established, Humber and custom has been has been happening previously. There, there really does feel to be a renaissance or an emergence now. What do you think is different? Well, there's a lot of things that have helped renaissance of of a pinball, and it's
0: kind of interesting. And I'm probably going to get you know criticized about this, but. I'm going to go back back to 2010, 2011. And it was around this time that a video game for PlayStation 2 came out, which was the Gottlieb and then the Williams Collection. And this went into the home of young guys who were playing games and were graduating high school, going to college, they couldn't find the pinball machines in local, right? So listen, when I was in school, you could go anywhere and find pinball machines. When I was dating my wife that we ended up marrying, we used to go out and buy and play machines on weekends and so forth for dates. There came a time when the student all that other stuff it ended, right? The arcade games, the pinballs in the student unions just disappeared, right? And right. Why it, it could because the dorms hit PlayStation Cinema. But what happened was these pinball machines were being emulated and a very good emulation. Okay, not the perfect, but good enough that these guys thought they were tough stuff. And then they started going out and finding some of these places. And there are these barcades and arcades that are bars, right? that be careful how you say barcade because that might be uh, not somebody's. Legal But the arcade experience morphed, and it wasn't because of Dave & Buster's. Listen, I was working for Dave & Buster's around 2010, 2011. Um, They had no pinball machines in there. They still have one here in Chicago, which they use as a test piece. They have four machines there, but that's the only one across the whole country. There are other areas, there are other places that pinball... Places started showing up. Uh, listen, there, you, you, we all know them. You, you got lions in Colorado. You had the Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas. You right. had stories up in the, the web, out out in Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. You have, uh, you know, and one of the things is, is I started working with this guy in 2012, 2013 in Buffalo, New York, to create Pocketeer. Okay, Pocketeer billiards is 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 a passion of love for me because. I helped him, right? We we helped each other. We grew this thing from one machine. Had like forty guys show up one night and play it. To uh, now having eighty machines, having leagues, and he's building. We're building. He's building another thirty thousand square foot part of this thing to add on another hundred machines. I think he's lunatic, but we. <laughs> We had done something there and created something. And in fact, we had the beast there this year, which was huge, you know, and a lot of players loved it. They all had a fun time at it and uh, we're going to grow. And it was interesting. I I know there's some, there's some secret, you know, video places if you find people who were filming, I took them in the back of Pocketeer, right? And they walked in the back and now you learn all the games are out there on the free play and on the tournament, right? And then I took some people in the back room and they just saw 50 games of eight a- sitting back there. And they're like, oh my God. You know, like, like where did this all come from? I'm like, well, we have games that we rotate in and out. This is where we're growing. Okay. So, you know, it's putting it in the public that it all of a sudden started popping up. And then you had places like Rep Bar. And then he had places all across the United States. And it's funny. I have it on my, my phone, right? Every week, it looks like, I have a news article. Right. Uh, some pinball wizard place just somewhere else showing everybody the fun to go back to the silver ball. And, and, and they're growing. These places are growing. People are growing. People want it. Uh, COVID was very healthy for pinball not for the talk and I, you know we did lose some good people and i and i am very sorry that we lost them to COVID. um and it it it's it it, it sads me you know because some of these people were people that i've known for a long time that were in the pinball community and uh, they will be greatly missed
1: so yeah i, I we, we did lose some great people in the community it is unfortunate that, that, that they're not with us um right. The the so, so there you know the the I I agree with you the the fact that there was the 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 pinball arcade for Gottlieb Williams and others and in fact there was a series of a number of years where every holiday my family and friends that's what they would get me because you know they 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 knew I was an enthusiast um the every, every new release that came out um the and and the the resurgence into barcades with let's call it a space in between um and all the other other location play. I agree with you. Like that's that's what a very good reason for why there was an emergence and a, and, and a, a re-emergence of pinball. Um where do you feel the push for homebrew and custom came from?
0: Well, it came out during this time too, because there are some people that just couldn't afford their own machines, right? So like Ryan McLeod always said, I, I had to build my machine, right? I had to go out and build it, you know, I wanted and he was upset that, you know, they never made a Sonic game. So he was like, well, this makes sense to me. And it goes back to a couple, you know, I think there are, there are many, um, how do I say this? There are many podcasts or seminars that were back before COVID in the early uh, 2015 where people were saying, well, if you think you can do better, build your own. And some people were like, okay, I will. And they did. And we started seeing those. Um, and I was very shocked. Uh, I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised. Let's say of what has come out and made. And I'm telling you, some of those games are—they're just—they—they—they they, they blow my mind with the what they're doing with the ball, right? Yeah. They're making the direction and the story with it.
1: I'll—I'll I'll, I'll add two. I—I th- wholeheartedly agree with you. I'll add two two items to that. Um, in about the same time frame, the maker movement was happening across the United States and across the world where people felt empowered to build their own electromechanical systems, um, robots, video games, et cetera. Um, and specifically with the introduction of the Arduino and the Raspberry Pi as foundational control systems that could do um, input-output, you know, analog and digital input-output. Um, and so folks early on started to use those. Uh, and then I think that is what parlayed um, but you know, to a certain extent, at least in concept, uh, both Jerry with multimorphic and the the p rock as well as Aaron with fast and actually created controllers that could then go into existing games or allow for the creation of 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 new ones. And so I think all those things together, the the community, the movement, the repush for um for pinball in general and specifically the pinball arcade games back, you know as as the next generation was coming up. Um, I I think it's all of those 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 coming together. So for Expo 2023, um you know the 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 intake form for homebrew and custom is under the American Dream Challenge portal and banner, okay And so you know we're going you're you're going big with American pinball and the American Dream Challenge for 2023. So what are you looking for? Um, Are you looking for polished products, design competency, innovations? Like what, what is it that, that you and American pinball are looking for? Well, you know, I think we're looking for people who
0: have a passion for the game that want to be part of the industry and, and have an idea. Listen, making a pinball machine is not, Easy. It's not like you just draw it up on a paper and you're done. It takes, you know, CAD work. It takes stuff, layout, many hours. Listen, that's dedication. Yep. I, I think every employer would love to see a resume that says, this is my dedicated work. This is my child that I have built. And I've put my blood, sweat and tears into this thing. And I love this because of X, Y and Z. And that, to me, is more than a guy coming in going, I'm in, I'm out. You know what I'm saying? Game designers, like you and Ryan, is the kind of guy who's like sitting there, and it's kind of funny. He'll call me on a weekend and go, hey, has this ever been done before? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't done this way, X, Y, or Z, W, F, whatever. And he'd be like, oh, okay. But what if we do it this way and that way? It's never been done. Let's try it. You know, to have the creative juices, to have the passion to do this—that's what. A, that's what I'm looking for, right? The winner of last year's was also a young guy at that who came up with this this design and 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 worked on it. And uh, I was just excited to bring him on board uh, for summer. So, so, I can,
1: so I David, I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you a question. Um sure. do you feel that the American Dream Challenge is really about the people or the machine or both?
0: It's a first of all, it's always been about the people. Of course. Right. It's always about the people. Um and is it about the machine? Yes. Because it it shows me that, you know, listen, I love Duke's at Hazard, the detail, the all the stuff that went through all of that. Definitely helped with, you know, it it showed me that that um, he can design not only have people work with him and have his vision come to an end, right? So we're, you know, that that was part of it, right? I look at these games, and it's it's always about the person, and that goes back to uh, ice, that goes back to uh, Williams Gottlieb, all about it. It's always about the personnel, right? That's who it is. And the creativity that these personnels bring and they're challenging the industry going, hey, what if you do this and what if you do that? You know, I mean, I, I laugh. Think about it. It was Black Knight was the first game where it had a ramp going to a second level. Now, granted, there were wire forms and other things that had popped the ball up but brought it back down. But this was the first one with two interactive flippers. Why was it that it was a young guy from California by the name of Steve Ritchie to design something like that? I mean, he did Firepower, he did Stellar Wars, and he worked at Atari. He did Superman, right? And there was Flash who was in there too. But all of those were some sort of box. Somebody who was saying this is it, and Steve Ritchie had the passion. Yep. If you ever ask some people, they'll tell you that Steve Ritchie is a madman, and he's a good madman. You know, he's he's like. It, it, I mean, you know, he has that drive that has to be done. You know, that's
1: what needs to be in the industry to drive I it. To- totally agree. Um, I want to I want to push that push that point a little bit more. Um, as part of the American Dream Challenge, are you, it, are you looking for machines to, you know, bring to production as is stated, or are you actually looking to hire and identify? The next designers for American pinball, both, okay.
0: both. Because here's the thing, you know. First of all, I I love to have the designer, right? And that person. So let's think about it. Um, if I if I go back, like say it's Steve Ritchie, right? Steve, design me your first game, Flash. Okay, figure eight shot sound, zzz, you know, everything on it. Let's take that flash bulb and flash it real bright in your eyes. Wow, that's really cool. You know, he didn't have that, right? But that's his first game. From that first game, his, his,
1: his first game at, at Williams. Williams,
0: right. Well, the first, the first, yeah, the very first game was, of course, Airborne Avengers. Yep. He kind of like, oh, I'll just do. And then he's like, well, let's lay it out better. Let's do Superman, right? Um, which was originally called Rockstar. Okay? Before they had the license. So there's a little history there. Um, But, you know, there's that passion, right? And he designed it. If Ryan McQuaid brought me Sonic, I was going to do Sonic. That's the license. Listen, if Ryan designed a game that wasn't Sonic and was just a generic title, it probably would have been out. It would be part of that, right? Because it's... um, it's all part of that experience. Being a license and, you know, pulling it, ugh, tough. So, you know, the other guy who won the 2022, he has a license to it. We'll get into more detail about that later. But it's a license that Americans are going after, too. So we do have other licenses. You know, everybody says, oh, you know, American can't
1: get out of its way. It's making non-licensed game." Hey. I play Hot Wheels at work on a regular basis. You guys make a fantastic licensed game. so
0: You do. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, I love Houdini. I, I love uh, Legends of Ahala, And I love Galactic Tank Force. Listen, I, I, I mean, you I couldn't get a license for Galactic Tank Force. So I went out and made our own license. You know, you think about it.
1: I think we we did very well with Galactic. Let me talk about this for two seconds. I you think did the- an amazing job with Galactic Team Force. I've played it on location a few times, and I love it. A lot of people do. A lot of people love it. it got, you know, Listen, understand we
0: ran into a small snag, and this is the first time I've been on a podcast since that snag. So let me touch on this for a second if I could. We took it to Texas, right? And we were so excited with it. And at Texas is when we caught a glimpse of a production game having an issue, and we're like, how is this possible? Now, anybody who knows me knows that when I worked at ICE, we had many, many life cycle tests done on games. We have target banks on prototype galactic tank forces that were done up a year prior that have over a 1,000 plays on them, and they never banked. This was a raised of a concern to the metal factory, the company that had been making parts for WMS and Stern uh, to the point that I had to have a conversation with the president of the company at that time and bring it to his attention <laughs> that it's your sample, it's no problem, and the new one does. And, you know, to this day, we're still trying to pull it up, but we worked through it, right? We've put stuff out on tests. We had stuff at Interium. We had new banks. In fact, you would find in, like, May, uh, when the game went to Interium, people are like, boy, this thing is dialed in. There's no air balls. It had the testing pieces in there. I test everything to death. There's not, if something gets out, it's a rare thing that it breaks down. Okay? And if it does, call us. We'll take care of it. I mean, I mean, our service department loves this when I say this, but we stand behind our product. Listen, if it's well,
1: six months out of out of uh, warranty, I'm going to take care of it. You know, it, it's, David. Look, anybody who works with um with with manufacturing goods or producing of goods or works with hard problems knows a a golden rule, which is it's not that the thing whether it's going to uh, six ever have a failure. It's how the people behind it deal with that and address it that ultimately shows what what the substance is of that product. And the fact that you're standing behind it, like that, that's the win. You know, on on the innovation side, going back many, many years when Dennis Dorman came out of college, he wanted to build a a pinball machine that looked different. And kudos to him and kudos to you and American for building the the tank version of the machine. Like something unique like that. Are there gonna be haters out there? Sure. But there's a lot of people who love that, love that, that uh form factor and love the fact that it turns into a take. It's awesome. And that's kudos to to Dennis. And yes, you know, he he isn't a young guy anymore, but he's still got some innovation in him left.
0: Yeah. And it's not just Dennis. There was Paul Reno too, who is Dennis' partner in that design, who you could kind of put into it like a home group, right? I mean, Paul kind of fits into that because he was working with Dennis. And that really kind of helped it. But you are absolutely right. You know, I hear many times on many podcasts, why doesn't somebody think outside of the box? Why? Well, I mean, it's a plain box. Why don't we have? Okay, it's no longer a plain box. It's a tank. And you know what? Listen, we drove it around Texas. And I went across people's Facebook pages that were never into pinball whatsoever. And I love telling this story. And I, I, don't, I haven't told this story because I haven't been on any podcast. Because... You know, people say, where's Fix then? Where is David Fix? Is he hiding?" No. He's running a factory. He's getting machines out to the public. He's working seven days a week. And once in a while, I get on podcasts. And it's on a Sunday afternoon. You know, Right. right? Um, this is not like during normal business hours. This is my passion that I'm doing this. And, of course, my good friend, uh, Cliff Franchi, we- from podcasting and chris and i would do sometimes podcasts at like
1: four o'clock in the morning or midnight or whatever i mean you said frenchy that's what it was it was the super pinball super awesome pinball show where i heard the podcast the the interview with you um th- 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 thank you for teeing that up uh for 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 folks who want to go back for that heart uh uh comment i made earlier it was the super pinball super awesome pinball show with frenchy
0: Right. And that's when we brought Ryan McQuaid on. And it's Ryan McQuaid and Dave Fix. And we talked about it. And interrupt and me, it's a really good podcast. Yeah. Listen, I, I just want to say this about American Pinball. It's a small team. We are a small company. We are we are building games for you, the pinball fans, and we want you to, you know, we need your support, of course. We love your support, and we love that what you guys are standing behind us. We have a small team. Um, so v- video guys or animators, I have two. Stern has you know, a group of 30 or more. Programmers, I have three, right? Two full-time programmers and a rural programmer and a programmer, Steve Bowden, okay? That's it. It's not like I got a team of you know, all these people. Mechanical engineers? I could use another mechanical engineer, right? If I read, I've been trying to find another mechanical engineer, anybody here listening to this podcast, reach out to American Pinball if you're a mechanical engineer
1: and you want to come work for me in, in Chicago. Maybe you'll find that through the American Dream Challenge this year at at Expo. Maybe, but but, but, but let,
0: again, like I said, it's a small team. It's a small team that has passion and
1: heart, to, and to the community for its its support. David, sometimes a small team. Will create a better product and a better end, a, a a better end product than a large team. Um, I've seen it happen many, yeah. many times in my professional career. So, so with that, um, you know, I I appreciate you coming onto the podcast. I hadn't actually realized that. I mean, now that I look back and think about it, you haven't been on a podcast in a while. I'm I'm very grateful that you you chose this podcast to be on. Um, you know, I did meet you very very quickly with my daughter at Expo last year. You signed her her book, which was very very nice of you. Um, I will be at Expo and as a interesting turn of fate. I will be road tripping from Seattle to expo with none other than Aaron Davis, a fast pinball. So I'm going to be talking with him about those, those early years. Um, I do want to put a quick shout out to, to your uncle Pete. Um, I know you said that he's not with us anymore, but clearly he, he, he made an amazing impression on you. And we, we, we may not have David fix in the industry and David fix in, in the pinball hobby, if it, if it wasn't for him. And so with, with that, um, any any final words you want to you want to give to the audience and the the you know and myself about you know about the the challenge about you know the 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 industry um, about homebrews in general?
0: Well, hats off to the homebrewers. Thank you for spending those extra hours, nights, and weekends away from your family to design something great, to show passion, and to be part of this community. In my eyes, if you're a homebrew designer, you are just as good as a game designer, okay? Because you have that passion. And I applaud you and continue to look at your work and want you to succeed. As for American Pinball, we're a small company. It's the support of the community, and we're very thankful for the community that has supported us. And understand that, you know, we just got done with Pintastic in New England. This weekend, which was kind of like the rebirth of Galactic Tank Force. We've gotten a lot of that cleared out. A lot of the problems are all kind of ironed out, which is a good thing, right? We're going to be at Expo. It's going to be a blast. We're going to have, we're pulling out all the stops for Expo for American Pinball and Galactic Tank Force. Listen, you can listen to other podcasters or you can listen to yourself. Um... Play the game. Play it on locations. Go to different areas. Try Galactic Tank Force. Understand it's got code on it that is quite far along, but there's still updates coming. And we're still promoting and we're still backing our program. In fact, we just released an update on Legends of Valhalla. So the game is never over for us. We have some surprises at Expo. You'll love to see them. We do have, on Friday night, at 8 o'clock, we have a seminar, Galactic Tank Force, Save the Cows, and Eat Ice Cream. Hmm, I wonder what we're going to be eating in the seminar room. Come, enjoy. And then on Saturday, we're going to have the whole cast from Galactic Tank Force, dressed in costume, walking around the show, signing autographs. All right? huge you know you wanted something outside of the box galactic tank force this is 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 it it's right marks for a lot of
1: people it's a tank out of the box um it's a, and and then it's um tank out of the and, box yeah and and then um with with the american dream challenge you know i wish all the the home brewers and customs good luck um i'm one of the people heading up judging um and organizing the judging so i look forward to talking with you at the show uh, David I really again I really appreciate you you coming on the podcast taking the time and and honoring our audience with with your your love of homebrew and your your passion for it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for listening and I can't wait to see what you make.